Broadcasting from Sunny Shore City, you're listening to The Underground Radio, bringing you all the very best Pokemon news and views this side of Twist Mountain. I'm Natil. And I'm Sam. For today's broadcast, we'll be highlighting some of the latest Pokemon news, getting philosophical about a string of boulders, talking about some of the hilarious problems with first generation of video games, and turning the spotlight on a true electric powerhouse. So sit back, relax, and give you Radio Rotome what it wants. Hey, Sam. Yes. What have you been up to this week? This week, I have been up to heart gold things, all of the things, and a few platinum things. All of the fourth gen things. All of the fourth gen things. That's... (laughs) That's about right, yeah. I don't know. I've been going through and replaying Heart Gold. I wanted to roll for some of the legendaries there again because I wanted to build a team for Ubers, even though most of the people at my league normally don't play them. And I don't know, it's been kind of interesting. I rolled for a Ho-O the other day, and I managed to get an adamant one with, you know, almost relatively superior IVs, which is kind of nice. I don't know, it's, it was a whole lot better than the last one, which is like a serious nature or something. Yeah, that's that's definitely a step up. Yes, and I'm almost, I almost finished with Heart Gold because I had a powerhouse from Soul Silver migrate over and help me through Kanto, and that was my Suicune. Ooh. And, I don't know, I love my Suicune. It is quite possibly one of the best Suicunes of all time. I'm not being I am not being arrogant <laughs> about that. It is it's managed to get a HP electric of sixty seven, which is brilliant. That's intense. And speaking of the Suicune, I also brought it over to Platinum and I decided to participate in a couple of the uh, uh, super contests in getting a bunch of ribbons over there since that Suicune is my last uh, member of my original fourth-gen team that I had EV trained and had almost migrated over to fifth. So I figured since he's probably going to be on his last legs in the fourth-gen games, I would take him through and I would do as much as I could with him. And I I don't know, I am really emotionally attached to, the, to this particular Pokemon. It's That's really weird. cool. <laughs> And uh, I don't know, I brought it through and I did a bunch of the beauty super contest stuff with it. I fed it a bunch of poffins, and it was kind of cool to make poffins again. I'm not going to lie. Platinum was a very <laughs> platinum was a very deep game. It was one of those kind of things where there was so much to do, and it just kind of floored you with how with how much content there was. And yeah, it's, it's true. The, in 5th Gen, when we moved over to Black and White, we lost a lot of that. There there aren't contests anymore. There isn't, you know, the Poffins or Pokeblock making anymore. It's kind of just straightforward, play the story mode, breed your Pokemon. Well, I don't know. There's a couple of things that I like about that and a couple of things that I don't like about that. Uh, the Pokeblock thing, I am totally okay with not doing because trying to get all the Pokeblocks and stuff them down a Melodic's throat, or uh, <laughs> Phoebus's throat to get a Melodic was way, way, way too much work. And it was even more work in Heart Gold and Soul Silver, where you had to go and get the, the groomings from Blue's sister once a, I think it was once a week you could do it, so it took forever and ever and ever to do, and I don't know, so that part I'm not missing, but the other thing, I don't know, that they sort of have contests this in 
fifth gen, but they're the musicals. And yeah, and that's that's not even close to being the same thing. Yeah, nobody does the musicals. Those are kind of, yeah. Which which I think is sad. And, you know, honestly, I think making Poffins was tons of fun. Making Poffins was tons of fun, but it was so disappointing because you could, the if you made the best Poffins, you could only make the really good ones if you had a bunch of people together. And I don't know how many people actually did the getting together and making Poffins thing, Unless, you know, you were really good friends with somebody and you all got together and did that. I don't know how many people actually benefited from that, at least in this area. How cool would that be? Just get a bunch of people together at somebody's apartment and have a poffin-making party. Bring your fourth-gen games. We're making poffins. Poffin-making night. (laughs) And I also picked up the super stupid expensive ribbons for my Suicune because, as it turns out, you can't migrate items from 4th to 5th. So I just sold all the items that I had in Platinum to give my Suicune the uh, $10,000 ribbon, the $100,000 ribbon, and the $999,999 ribbon. The almost a million dollar ribbon. (laughs) Yes, the almost one million dollar (laughs) ribbon. That is what it shall forever be known as. That's really cool. It's going to be a sweet Pokemon when you finally take the plunge and move it over to 5th. Yes, and I don't think I'm going to do that for a while, though, because I found out that if you migrate a Pokemon over from 4th to 5th, it doesn't take into consideration the date you caught it when you look at it in 5th gen. It just says the date that you transferred it. Oh, And what was really, what kind of disappoints me about that is because my Suicune I caught on my birthday two years ago. So I want to make sure that the date is preserved when I move it over from 4th to 5th. And if I can just wait until the 26th of May, then I'll be able to do that. And then I'll I'll be okay with moving the Pokemon over. But until then, I think I'm going to keep it in 4th and maybe go through some of the other games with it a little more just to... I don't know, just to have it there to be a powerhouse cannon to sweep my way through games that I'm not necessarily going to play again. That makes me giggle. (laughs) So what have you been up to? Substantially less as far as the video games are concerned than you. I've oh. I've been working through my Nuzlocke run on Soul Silver, and that's a it's a very time consuming process because you never want to get yourself into a situation where your Pokemon aren't higher leveled than the other Pokemon you're facing, because then you're looking at a real possibility of Pokemon death. Yes. And I got through uh, Whitney's gym with no casualties, which was super exciting because I was terrified of her because of that stupid Mill Tank and her rollout. The Mill Tank was quite possibly one of the most difficult Pokemon in that entire game to take out because it was such, it's such a tank. It really is. And it's got that rollout ability. That's got that rollout attack. It's got the attract attack and it's like, ah, yeah, it was, it was pretty terrifying. So what I ended up doing was spending all of the money that I had earned in the past. I don't know, however long I'd been playing that game on X specials and, um, X speeds. And I just pumped my Quilava full of these things while I was facing her Clefable, because her Clefable was all just like, oh, I'm going to use Mimic. Oh, I'm going to use Double Slap. And I could soak, time after time, I could soak a million Double Slaps. I know, that Clefairy is just the perfect setup fodder to 
do that, and you manage to pull off the Death Star strategy for <laughs> your Kualapa. Oh, I did. Azula, Azula took down that mill tank like a ton of bricks, and I felt really good about that. So then I left the area, and I got to my new area, caught a, neater, a female Nidoran, and I was like, yeah, this is awesome. And so then I'm going through the grass, I'm going through the grass, and I had my first ever Nuzlocke casualty. Oh, no. Who my, was it? My Hopip. Oh, man, I'm sorry. My Hopip died. I had to release her. I don't necessarily like Hopips, but still, I feel terrible for you. <laughs> I know how you feel about Hopip. It's totally okay. I was just <laughs> excited because I had, I had finally gotten her past that point where she had no physical attacking moves. And I had just gotten her to the point where she learned tackle and I was like, yeah, I'm finally going to start being able to level you up better because I wanted her to be my status inflictor. And then she took a sonic boom to the face. Oh, no. And it was just all over. <laughs> did you you soaked? Did you say you put a TM into it? Yeah, I stuck bullet seed into her and I was. Oh, no. I was like, yeah, bullet seed. Let's take on some more Pokemon. And then bam. Now. Have you gotten to the point in... I can't remember. Have you gotten to the point where you can get the experience share in that game yet? No. (laughs) Okay. I do not yet have the experience share, which makes leveling up a much more dangerous process for right now. I suppose. Yeah, and I... So we we lost lost Hoppip, but may she rest in peace. (laughs) Yes. Uh, and then I, when I, when that happened, I went back to soft resetting for my first ever legendary Pokemon that I've soft resetted for, and that is my February event Mewtwo. Very nice. I'm rolling for a timid. Hopefully, I want to make the best possible use out of Electro Ball as I can, and the game just does not want me to have a timid Mewtwo. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I don't know. The games, they refuse to let go of some of these Pokemon. It's kind of it's kind of almost like they're possessed. It's weird. It it has been a process. I've probably sunk 6 hours into soft resetting for this Mewtwo so far. And I've rolled for maybe 6 7 timids. Oh, so you have been so at least you've been getting timid ones. Yeah, except all the timid ones I get have speed IVs of less than 5. Ouch. <laughs> I've never gotten a timid Mewtwo with a speed IV of more than five. I'll get modest ones sometimes that'll have a speed IV of like 15. I see. Yeah, but, and I'd, yeah the, the modest one, though, is kind of a tough sell. If you're going to get a modest one, it has to be a bulky one. That, that's the thing, because it's got to be able to take that first hit. And I don't, I don't want to have to deal with that. I would much prefer to have a timid one with all the speed I can pump into it. But we'll keep we'll keep rolling for it. There's nothing stopping me from rolling for it, because the only wonder cards that I've got in that game right now is the Mewtwo and then the Reshiram, so there's plenty of space left. Oh, yeah, there are like 12 or 16 slots for that. So you're in, and we don't get nearly the amount of event Pokemon as Japan does, which is... Disappointing? disappointing is a very (laughs) polite way to put it (laughs) but uh yeah well good luck with that i have six hours that's you know that's not bad there are a couple of people i know who have sunk like days like literally like 48 hours into trying to get a legendary pokemon oh i know i know so i'm i'm not too upset with it yet i'm just slightly annoyed right now (laughs) 
You'll get it. You will. It's one of those rules. If you keep doing it long enough, you will eventually get a really awesome one. Like the... Which one was it? The Groudon that Richard rolled for. Yeah, our friend Richard has an awesome Groudon that he was very patient about obtaining. (laughs) Yes, very patient. But that's pretty much all I've been doing as far as the video games are concerned. I have, however, been doing other exciting things, Pokemon-related, that are much girlier, I guess is a good way to put it. I I got a new uh, Pikachu tank top, which was super exciting. The Pikachu on it was, like, super cute. Its ears are all back, and it's giggling. Awesome. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. But that was just sort of a, hey, I saw it, I bought it. The other thing that I've done took me approximately seven hours of crafting time. Oh, this sounds exciting. I took a pair of high heel shoes that I bought from uh, Payless for like $17 and essentially decoupaged them with panels from the Pokemon Adventures manga. That's amazing. They're the coolest things I have ever seen. They were so finicky and so much work, but now that they're done, I love them. Now, will they... There are all the uh, panels from the Pokemon Adventures manga, like the first couple of books there that they've released over here. And they would be like the ones that centered around the Mew storyline and a couple other early badges that Red would be getting. Yeah, I actually ended up buying a slightly thicker volume of the manga and it was like the Pokemon Adventures, the best of Red. So it had... um, it had a lot of the Mew story in it, which is what I wanted because Mew is my favorite Pokemon and I wanted a lot of her on my shoes. Totally. And then uh, because it centered around red, I got lots of bits of Pikachus and uh, there was uh, one when he met his the first Articuno and he borrowed Misty's Gyarados so that there's, there's this scene of Gyarados and a Dragonite fighting on my shoe. Awesome, Dragonite. They are so sweet, and I'm really excited about them. I'm kind of hoping... I've got another pair of shoes, and I'm not going to do them in Pokemon. I'm actually going to do them in Aquaman. But oh. um, the the concept is super easy to get your mind around. They're just really finicky to work with. And I'm kind of hoping that if I do a few more pairs, they'll start to look a little nicer. And then I will have the most ultimate awesome pair of Pokemon shoes ever. So they're simple to do, it's just that they're very labor-intensive. They're very labor-intensive, and you have to kind of be, you have to get good at picturing what size panel is going to fit properly in a specific area on the shoe, because, like, it's not just, like, this neat little cylindrical thing. There's parts that get thinner and parts that get thicker, and the parts that go over the toe, you have to bend over properly, and it's, it's a little, it's finicky work. I suppose. I don't know. I That sounds really, really amazing. I kind of feel a little stab of pain in my heart for the poor book that was torn apart to make the shoes. That I exacto knifed. But still, that sounds really, really awesome. It sounds like a really awesome craft project to do. Well, and the neat thing about it is, like, you know, after you read the volume of manga, how many times do people who own manga or comic books or whatever ever actually pick up those individual issues again and reread them. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, if you if you're really 
into the comic books, you'll keep them. But after that, it's sort of it's almost like you'd almost want to borrow them as opposed to keeping them for yourself. Exactly. So, so these now have a much better secondary use, in my opinion. Awesome for recycling. <laughs> and that's I guess that's pretty much it for what we've been doing this week, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I haven't really been doing a whole lot else. Awesome. Let us move on. Welcome to the news desk. In news for today, we've got a new box art for Black and White 2 being revealed. The official Pokemon websites have been updated with the box art for the upcoming sequels of Black and White. And while there is no new information, the reveal of the box arts is certainly vamping up excitement in the fan base for these games. Are you excited for these games, Sam? You know, I'm actually a little excited because (laughs) this is the first time that the Pokemon games have developed an actual sequel to the entire to the storyline of a certain generation of games, with the exception of Gold and Silver, which were, you know, they were there were sort of sequels to the story, not almost, not quite, but I don't know. This should be really interesting to play through and see what they have in store for the the Tau Trio of the legendary Pokemon, what they have in store for N and for Getsis and for the player character, and it should be really interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited myself. The, the box arts are really sort of just a, you know, hey, here they are kind of thing, and they're not super spectacular. They look an awful lot like the box arts for black and white, only instead of Reshiram and, Q, or Reshiram and Zekrom, you have black Qrem and white Qrem. Which should also be really interesting in and of itself, because I, I want to know how they plan to get around the idea of the sort of like the legend they included in black and white, where, Q, where uh, Reshiram and Zekrom were originally one Pokemon, and maybe this will be the answer to a lot of that mythology and the questions some of the fans have had. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they work out. I'm excited to see what they do with the lore, but until there's actually, you know, more solid information about how they're going to work that out, I'm not going to get upset or terribly excited about either side of that argument. Yeah, it's true. I I'll I'll admit personally I was not too thrilled about black and white when they were first announced because after the you know, all the glamour and amazingness that Heart Gold and Soul Silver were. Uh, it was really difficult for me to wrap my mind around the fact that there were going to be more games and they might be worse or better than Heart Gold and Soul Silver. It was a very it was a very uh tumultuous time for me to consider them. I know that sounds super melodramatic. But... Oh, it totally doesn't, because when I first saw the starters for black and white, I was up in arms i was like no these games are stupid these starters are dumb i don't even want anything to do with these games i was i was really not very happy and then i saw the the uh female lead and i was like her pockets are sticking out the bottom of her shorts her shorts are way too short i was i was an angry pokemon fan for a while (laughs) i think i think a lot of people were but i think now that we've actually played black and white too and realized some of the updates they've made to the battling system and the fact that it still has an engaging and interesting story even though the story mode was a little shorter than heart gold and soul silver were 
I think it still has the potential to be a really good a really good sequel to what they've already built on for fifth gen. Oh, I, I definitely agree. After I got over my initial these games poker look ter- yeah. After after I got over the initial poker rage, I've really fallen in love with fifth gen. I truly have. Indeed. In other Pokemon news, some mysterious Pokemon trademarks have surfaced. On March 22nd, a publicated Unexamined International Trademark Applications Gazette, Volume 605, put out by the Japan Patent Office, included new Pokemon trademarks applied by Nintendo Game Freak, including patents for Black QRAM and White QRAM, along with something called Pokemon Treta. This patent came complete with a logo, but no other information. Cerebee is speculating that it will have something to do with books, while the website that broke the news, all about Pokemon figures, believes it will have something to do with Pokemon toys. But at this point, everything is pure speculation. That sounds really interesting, though. I know. I've been doing some poking around online, and... It seems like the general internet consensus is that this might be a sequel to Pokemon Troze. Hmm, that sounds... that's actually a fairly interesting theory. Yeah, there hasn't been a a Pokemon puzzle game for a long time, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, there really hasn't. The only other Pokemon, like, peripheral game that's come out recently has been the Pokemon Rumble Blast, so... Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it would probably make sense for there to be another uh, puzzle game for the Pokemon uh, continuity that would be coming out here pretty quick. It's been a while, like you said. It's true, and I don't know. Since everything is just, like, such speculation right now, I kind of would like it to be a new game in the Ranger series. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. I loved the Pokemon Rangers series. I did. They were kind of, you know, a little easy to play through, but they had really interest. It was a really interesting concept and a really interesting storyline to play as a person working with Pokemon in a capacity that wasn't a Pokemon trainer. Yeah, they've kind of they touched a little bit on that sort of idea in uh, Ruby Sapphire Emerald, where you could have training going on and then you could also be a coordinator and you could participate in contests but they never separated those two ideas until they did the pokemon ranger series and yeah i've i've never actually played any of the ranger games myself but i did try a demo of it one time and while i wasn't you know i didn't get too deep into it it was still a really interesting concept to temporarily capture the pokemon to help you out with achieving a goal yeah i think they're really interesting really neat and i would i would love to see another one of those um i don't know what do you think about this cerebi speculation that it might have something to do with books i don't know with pokemon books that's kind of a tough sell because i mean if i they already have a manga series going on and i'm not sure what they what they would intend to do with a book series i mean i'm not sure that they were there would really be all that big of a market for i'm assuming if cerebi means what i'm thinking they're meaning they're talking about like an actual novel type of book and i'm not sure how well that would go over when they've already got the pokemon manga the pokemon adventures manga going out and they've got a couple other uh media formats that would i don't know it almost feel like they would be providing 
competition that wouldn't really work out. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I don't know if it's nece- if they're necessarily thinking that it's going to be novels, but other book items. I mean, you've got like an idea, like maybe like a Pokemon encyclopedia type thing. But with new Pokemon coming out every four years or so, I don't know that that necessarily makes any sense either. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I've, I'm not sure. You know, Gen Six is quite a ways off yet, but they're probably going to. If they don't release any new Pokemon for that, they'll probably uh, try and update some of the Pokemon that they have out there now. And I'm not sure if well, they've, they'll probably stop at like a thousand Pokemon. That'd be getting any more than that would be getting way too complicated. But still, like you said, the idea that they would try and make like a Pokemon encyclopedia would be, I don't know, it'd be a very temporal thing. After a few years, it would be rendered obsolete. It's very true. Although. A Pokemon encyclopedia after, you know, Pokemon has sort of pittered out and we're done getting new generations of Pokemon would be pretty freaking sweet. Yes, it would. (laughs) It would also be really awesome if they would do something like an online book for an online encyclopedia for Pokemon that you could download as an app or something and then you could totally use it and it'll have all the Pokemon information you would ever want on it in a format that would be incredibly easy to navigate. I think that would, I would totally go out and buy an e-reader to get one of those. <laughs> so that's that's all that there is right now on Pokemon Treta is just the the name, and it's in Japanese and English, and there's a logo for each. So I guess until we've got a little more information, people should just keep their eyes peeled and let us know if anything new happens if we haven't already found it ourselves. <laughs> Uh, the 2012 International Challenge has begun uh, this week. The registration end period ended on March 21st, and now up to 50,000 trainers from all over the world are competing for the best rankings on the Global Battle Union site. Woo! Yes. I've, I didn't participate this time around because I don't necessarily have a particularly good doubles team, but I was still really interested nonetheless because this will be the... I think this will be the second time they've ever done an online competition like this. I think the last one was the uh, Pokemon, the fall championship they had a few months ago. Yeah, that was the same thing was my problem, too. I don't have a good doubles team yet, so I didn't feel like I'd be in a good place to enter if I didn't have something that was working with more synergy as far as doubles are concerned. True story. And I mean, you're also going to have players from Japan and Korea playing there, too. And the people from Japan and Korea take their Pokemon pretty seriously. Even compared to, like, you and me, and we take our Pokemon really seriously. I know, right? (laughs) Uh, One one thing, though, that I managed to find when I was poking around on the Pokemon.com site was that the uh, Pokemon company released that the ban list for the tournament was incomplete. Really? Yes. Uh, number 441, Chatot, was left off the list, and it resulted in a number of error messages for players who attempted to register the Pokemon on their teams. And the Pokemon company didn't realize this error until the registration window was almost closed. So they're apologizing for the confusion right now, and they're asking people to still use the Global Battle Union site, but it was, I don't know, I've, while it kind of, while it does suck for the people who actually wanted to use a chat in their competition and they got locked out and they didn't know why, 
it's you know it's kind of it's kind of understandable i mean i i don't actually know the reason for why a chatot would be banned but you know i apparently there's some reason and well, you and I were kind of speculating about that a little, and it might have something to do with that move that lets you record your own voice. Oh, yeah, that would be it, wouldn't it? Yeah, because that I, I know that's caused some issues before, because people can yell whatever they want to in their microphone, and that comes out of the other player's speakers. And when you've got, you know, immature 16-year-old boys playing this game, or, you know, however old they are, and they're shouting obscenities into their microphones that can cause other issues for the Pokemon company. Yeah, that could, couldn't it? I didn't think of, yeah, that, that would make sense though. And yeah. And I just, I hadn't even thought about it until after you brought up this news item and how chat is on the ban list. And it had never, like, I don't even remember that Pokemon on a normal everyday basis. <laughs> I don't, yeah. Chatot was a really, awkward Pokemon from a very awkward time in the Pokemon games, the fourth gen Pokemon that were released. And I mean, they, they had some pretty awkward Pokemon in there, like Bibarel. And, you know, it was just one of those things where Chatot was one of those kind of guys that was like, Oh, well, I guess I'll never use you, but yeah. So for those of you who ended up trying to use a Chatot on your team and didn't get in, I guess the Pokemon company is sorry. <laughs> Yes, they're they're sorry, and you know, uh, while it you know it was their tournament, and they sh- probably should have double checked that a little. You know, it was an honest mistake. So, our last bit of news for this week is that the new season of Play Pokemon has started, ushering in the Quake season. Totally excited about the Quake season. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. There's two new challenges this month for uh, trainers going to Pokemon leagues to earn extra points on their trainer cards. For the video game, you can earn double points in battles by using only Pokemon who know the move Bulldoze. And for the TCG, one can opt to discard two cards from the top of his or her deck once per turn to deal an extra 20 damage with their attacks after applying weakness and resistance, though one may not use the same attack next turn during the unless the attacking Pokemon is a fighting type. I don't know, some of these challenges, while, I don't know, the the Bolt season almost seemed a little more restrictive, because if you look at it, the move Bulldoze is a TM, and there are a whole, there are a whole boatload of Pokemon that can learn the TM Bulldoze. It's true, and it's not just restricted to, like, fighting types and ground types, like a ground type move, you know, would maybe necessarily, usually be. Because of the TM, you've got, you know, Ice Pokemon that can learn it, Electric Pokemon that can learn it. And it's, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, tons of Pokemon that can learn it. Yes, and it's, and the wording of it implies that you don't necessarily have to have the move bulldoze on their move sets. You can totally ignore the move. It's just that you can only have the Pokemon that can learn the move bulldoze. So it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, I could have a Pokemon that can learn bulldoze like Charizard, but then I could totally give it, you know, Fire Blast and Air Slash and, you know, every other move that you want except for bulldoze, which, I don't know, it seems almost like it's less restrictive than last season where you were limited to abilities, which totally narrowed the field down incredibly. It it really did. So are you going to try the challenge this season? 
You know, I think I will. I need to find some Pokemon that can learn Bulldoze, but obviously that shouldn't be too terribly difficult. Indeed. I think I'm going to give it a shot myself. I don't know that I'll necessarily do the TCG challenge because I'm still sort of learning the TCG, and I don't want to overextend myself in that particular area. But I think I can totally do the VG challenge at least one week this season. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. And we might have to get some of the other players interested in that, too, because I know a lot of them probably don't even look at that part of the card. They're kind of like, oh, hey, uh, we've battled, we'll get some points, and this will be a really easy way for people to double up and try and get more of the points in to get that uh, sweet pin at the end. Exactly. That wraps it up for Pokemon news this week. We will now be heading into our main topic, which is all about Gen 1. Despite Gen 1 being the games that brought Pokemon into our lives, there are a number of glitches and problems that occurred in those early days that were thankfully corrected, and today we are going to talk all about them. Yes, for anybody who played the first Gen games, or anyone who is right now playing the first Gen games, which unfortunately won't be too long because those batteries are probably going to be going dead sometime soon, (laughs) it's still a it's still really humorous and kind of funny in a sad sort of way to remember just how easy and or even how difficult it was to play the first-gen video games. Exactly. So to start off, we're going to talk about the special stat, which was ridiculously broken. Oh, the special stat. <laughs> Unlike current versions of the game where attack and defense and special attack and special defense are all different stats... The early games used an attack and a special stat that simultaneously acted as defense and special defense. What this meant for a lot of people, if um, I know in the current gens of the games, they have specific attacks and in a single element that can be special or physical, such as the normal type has the special attack hyper beam and the physical attack stone it or double edge. In the first-gen games, they didn't have that. There was an entire el- entire elements were ascribed to the special stat or the physical stat, and that meant that all normal-type attacks were going to be physical attacks, and all fire, grass, electric, and water attacks were all going to be special attacks. So that means that any Pokémon that could use any of those special attacks and have a significantly high special stat would pretty much own the game. I mean, you couldn't really challenge any Pokemon that had that. It's true, and perhaps the best example of this was Alakazam. He had a ridiculously high special stat, so he could stand out as not only an undeniably powerful wall, but a super powerful sweeper all at the same time. You could not touch Alakazam. It's very true, and it was super disappointing for a lot of Pokemon that had high attack stats like Charizard, 
but they could never get the same type attack bonus off of those attacks that would hit significantly hard because their attack stat directly conflicted with the fact that their element was a special stat. It's very, very true. And I don't know, a lot of... And it seemed, and if you got a Pokemon such as Mewtwo, for example, I mean, it didn't even matter what you could do against the Mewtwo. I mean, the Mewtwo reigned supreme in first gen because it had that super ridiculously high special stat, and it could learn just about every move in the game. So a lot of these Pokemon that would be weak to special type attacks, like Golem and uh, Kangaskhan, and a lot of these other Pokemon that would have special weaknesses, it I mean, you could just sweep the whole game with a few Pokemon, and you would never have to worry about with, about getting challenged by any Pokemon in the entire game. The balance was just not there. It's true. There were also a number of problems uh, related to the to passive damage attacks like Toxic and Leech Seed. Uh, by using Toxic and Leech Seed on the same opponent you could actually stack the damage effects. And this was because both attacks used the same formula to apply damage. This means that Leech Seed drained twice the amount of damage that Toxic did every turn, and at the end of every turn, Toxic did twice the damage that Leech Seed did. It was essentially like stuffing two turns of Toxic into one turn. And the... Uh, and the damage bonuses just multiplied so quickly that you could just sit there and defend and protect and just sit your way out and even the most stalwart wall with the most impressive HP stat would fall like a ton of bricks. All you had to do is just sit it out. It's true. And you not only do you have passive damage attacks like Toxic and Leech Seed, but there's also Wrap, Bind, and Fire Spin. And those prevented an opponent from doing anything for the duration of the effect. The effects of these moves continued to affect the victim even after the caster switched out. It was just ridiculously broken. I know, right? I had a lot of problems with this when I would be playing yellow version, because when you were playing yellow, you ha you knew all of those... Uh, you kind of had a feel for those glitches in there, because you were like, oh, fire spin, now I can't do anything. I'm caught in the fire spin. But if you ever played... Another peripheral game, the Pokemon Stadium, they sort of corrected some of those errors. So it was sort of like you were super confused as to why all these things were happening all at the same time. And it was, I don't know, the passive damage was so terribly broken in that game. In those games, it was just, I don't know, ridiculous. It really was. Move accuracy was another perpetual problem in the first-gen games. You had the one-hit KO moves like uh, guillotine and sheer cold and fissure and they often never worked because unlike the game description suggested their accuracy was based on the speed of the user as well as their level and many of these moves were never featured on fleet-footed pokemon it's true pokemon that i remember that can use those would be pincer Lapras and Golem, and none of those Pokemon were fast, and it always puzzled me why those moves never hit, even though I was significantly higher leveled than a lot of the other Pokemon were. It's true, and even if you'd like factor out the ridiculously low accuracy of the one-hit KO moves, 
other moves that had slightly lower accuracies on faster Pokemon would hit substantially more often because, again, accuracy of all of the moves were based on a Pokemon's speed, not the accuracy of a specific move. It's ridiculous. It really was. So you could have fast Pokemon using low-accuracy moves and hitting time after time after time. (laughs) I know, right? You could just sit there and just be like, thunder, thunder, thunder. And if you were fast enough, like if you had a Jolteon out there, you could theoretically hit a Pokemon with almost a 90% accuracy and be like, oh, well, I'm just that good. No, as it turns out, your speed stat was that good. That's why. (laughs) It's true, although speaking of 90% accuracy moves... Oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, the move Blizzard had an accuracy of 90%. It doesn't matter if that's intentional or not. That's stupid. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Blizzard is just a super psychotic move. I don't know why they put it in there, except for... Well, no, I can totally think of one reason, and that was for Lance's hacked ch- uh, Dragonite. <laughs> because that Dragonite was super, super hacked. It had the move... Uh, barrier on it, which raised its defense two stages, and no Dragonite has ever been able to learn the move Barrier by itself in the games, ever. Well, and you know, Blizzard is an awesome move in and of itself, but because it's so ridiculously overpowered, that accuracy has been lowered in order to sort of compensate and make it a little more reasonable, but an accuracy of 90% on Blizzard is just ridiculous. It's true. You'd have to be sitting in gravity or you'd have to be casting hail to get something that good off a base 120 attack like that. I mean, I don't know. That's just so ridiculous. (laughs) Also, I found out that every move in the game had a 1 in 256 chance of failing except for Swift. Really? So even like moves that were supposed to have like 100% accuracy, like say tackle? Yep. If there was that 1 in 256 chance that that move would fail on any kind of move. It could have been Thunderbolt. You know, it just was, I don't know why they programmed that little bit in there, but it was just one of those kind of things where it's like, haha, I'm going to win the battle and I'm going to use this amazing Thunderbolt attack and it's going to totally fry that uh, water-type Pokemon sitting there and go and missed. You're just (laughs) like, what? That's ridiculous. You know what else were hilariously buggy? What's that? Critical hit ratios. Oh, critical hits. (laughs) Tell me about critical hit ratios, Sam. Critical hits were based off of Pokemon's speed, which meant that Pokemon with a higher speed did substantially more critical hits than a slower Pokemon. Thankfully, now critical hit ratios are the same for all Pokemon and can be altered by the fair use of particular moves and items, such as Night Slash, which has a high critical hit ratio on its own, and the Scope Lens, which further improves a Pokemon's critical hit ratio. Now see, we were already talking about how Pokemon with high speeds already had higher accuracies. Now not only do they get high accuracy, they get high critical hit ratios. In other words fast Pokemon were broken. <laughs> it's true. They these games super favored the Pokemon with the high specialist with the high special stat and the high speed stat. So Pokemon like Alakazam and Jolteon and Mewtwo and you know other special attackers were just super ridiculously broken in this game. It's true. And not only were the ratios completely buggy, 
But critical hits also totally ignored stat increases. Increases. Six hardens were absolutely no guarantee of being able to su- to survive a hit if your opponent landed a critical. That's ridiculous. <laughs> I know. Because <laughs> I mean, like in the game today, you know, if you're if you're using bulk up and you're bulking up your defenses and your opponent hits you with a critical hit, those bulk ups still have an effect on how much damage is being done by a critical hit. And that makes total sense. Oh, totally. It was like that one battle we were in where you totally were used uh, Stone Edge on my Steelix. And even though a critical hit it, it still didn't do a whole lot of damage. It was one of those kind of things where it was just my defenses were so high that it didn't make a difference. Oh, it's so true. <laughs> but with that critical hit bug in it, it's just like, oh, now a critical hit can theoretically take out a physical or a special wall. And it's like, ah, uh, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Conditions were also a wild, unpredictable frontier for Pokemon trainers in first gen, such as the fact that if you were frozen, you would never thaw out naturally. Really? Yes. The only way to thaw out was to use an item, get hit by a fire-type move, or to have someone use haze, which would thaw a Pokemon that was frozen in addition to its intended effect. Why would they make Hayes do that? I don't know. <laughs> That's so unbelievably ridiculous. The only way to solve the fact that my po- that my Pokemon got frozen solid is to use hazy air, and that makes everything better. <laughs> That's crazy. But it wasn't only the it wasn't only the frozen status effect that was broken. Sleep was completely broken too. Really. Sleep required an entire turn to wake up from, giving your opponent plenty of opportunity to put the Pokemon back to sleep again without ever having to take a hit. So, like, in-game, the way it would work is, even if you were a faster Pokemon, your Pokemon, you know, would wake up, but you wouldn't get to do anything right away after. Unlike in the games today, where if you're asleep, you can still opt to choose an attack, and if your Pokemon wakes up, he immediately uses that attack. Not so so in first gen. So if you had like a Gengar in first gen and you were able to use hypnosis and put someone to sleep, you were faster and your opponent woke up, they wouldn't be able to do anything and that would give you all the warning bells that you would need to put the Pokemon back to sleep again with hypnosis? Yes, it's exactly like your Pokemon is just announcing to your opponent, hey, use the sleep affecting move again. That's ridiculous. It's so bad. Uh, Also, the toxic move was also a little buggy in first gen, in that if you switched out an afflicted Pokemon that was suffering from badly poison status, it would turn back into normal poison when you brought it back in. And that's different from the way it works now. When you have a Pokemon that's afflicted with toxic in the game today, if you switch them out and put them back in, it just resets the toxic counter. You're still going to keep getting double the damage every turn, but at least the counter goes back to zero. In these first games, they just went back to being regular poison. There was no more doubling. 
Yep, and by doing that, you could theoretically keep switching out your Pokemon, and even though they'd still be suffering from a status condition, you could almost give yourself immunity from further status conditions by perpetually switching out your Pokemon, and you would never have to worry about that additional toxic damage stocking up. It's so true. Stat increases were also a huge problem, and they could lead to amazingly paradoxical battles. Really? Yes. Using agility completely negated the speed loss from paralysis. As in, if you were paralyzed, you could use agility and not only return your speed to normal, but then double it on top of that. What? Not even kidding. The same thing would happen to the reduction in your attack stat from a burn if you used Swords Dance. That's stupid. I know! Now, what would that do today if you were using... If you're using Sword Stance and you were suffering from a burn, that would uh, undo the minus 50% uh, attack that you would be doing on a physical attacker, right? Yeah, you you would essentially just take away the the attack reduction from the burn. You wouldn't increase your stat any further, but at least you would go back to square one. Yeah, and that's totally different from being like, oh, hey, guess what? I'm totally going to use agility even though I'm paralyzed and I get a plus four bonus to my speed. In, in essence, that's exactly what it was. You weren't getting a plus two, you were getting a plus four. Exactly, because it brought you back to stage one and then increased you further. That's ridiculous. God, I really wish I would have kept using my Jolteon then, because I think my I think my Jolteon in first gen knew agility, and I never actually had it get paralyzed because Thunder Wave was one of those attacks where, I, wait a second, it didn't have abilities back in the day, did it? No. No, so if it would get paralyzed, I should have... Man, I really wish I would have known this stuff now, that I... Now then, because then I could just be like, oh, hey, agility, now I'll, all I have to do is worry about the 25% chance that my Pokemon is not going to be able to move. But So we could just, you know, completely break the game. I know, right? you got to be careful about those stat increases, though. Oh. Yeah, because if you increase your stats too high, the numbers would roll over into abysmally low levels. <laughs> there there was no cap there was no you know like in fifth gen or you know previous gens even where if you increase your stat to a certain level it will stop you and say you know your attack stat won't go any higher in first gen you could go over the top and then roll back down to the bottom that's ridiculous <laughs> so oh man so you could theoretically keep boosting uh Pokemon with a ridiculous amount of speed like that Jolteon and then roll it over and all of a sudden your level 100 Jolteon has a speed stat of 1? Something, yeah. You you would eventually hit the top level and then roll over and become go from being super fast to being stupid slow. <laughs> Poor Jolteon. I'm... <laughs> Oh, man, I'm so glad that they corrected all these. I know, and, and we're just getting started. We've got more to go through here. I know, right? Especially about moves in first gen. First gen moves were ridiculous, especially the fact that 
in versus battles, the moves Roar and Whirlwind did absolutely nothing. Really? So if a Pokemon kept stat upping themselves, you were you were done. I mean, there's there's absolutely no way to phase them out. There's no way to get them to undo their stat increases unless you for some unless you somehow got them to switch Pokemon. And I gotta tell you, if you've got a Pokemon that already has a plus six in attack, you're not gonna want to switch that out for almost anything. It's true. It's true. And not only that, but the move Hyper Beam required no recharge time if you successfully caused an opponent to faint. I totally take that in 5th gen. I really <laughs> All of the hyper beam, all of the time. Uh, it's funny, though, that we should mention that we've already talked about the critical hit ratios, and we've already talked about stats rolling over into ridiculously low numbers. But this one, I've, I've always wondered why in 1st gen why the critical hit ratio didn't increase and why I couldn't keep landing critical hits more frequently when I kept using the move focus energy. But now I know exactly the reason why, and that's because due to a glitch in programming, focus energy reduced the chances for landing a crit by 75% rather than increasing those odds. Listen, listen to that again, guys. It didn't reduce the chance for landing, for landing a critical hit to 75%, but by 75%, meaning you had a 25% chance of landing a critical hit. And it was so bad because I had a couple of Pokemon like a Machoke that would keep using focus energy, and it's like, come on, Machoke, land a critical hit. <laughs> but it would never <laughs> land a critical hit. <laughs> Poor Machoke. It was like, oh, I'm just set up fodder for my opponents now. <laughs> That's hilarious. Another big issue with certain moves included the move Struggle. Now, Struggle is a move that your Pokemon will use when it's out of PP. Yes. Completely out of PP. And, you know, in today's games, the move Struggle is typeless, which means that it affects all Pokemon equally. However, in first gen, Struggle was a normal type move, making all ghost type Pokemon completely immune to it. So if you could stall with a ghost type Pokemon until your opponent ran out of PP, they were done. There was nothing they could do to you. Oh, hi, I totally just stalled out your Mewtwo. Now I'm going to switch in a ghost type and totally ignore every struggle you're going to throw at me. And I'll keep using Shadow Ball on you and eventually kill you. It's so true. That's awesome. <laughs> One of my favorite moves, though, for uh, first gen being super buggy was the move Rage. When I read about the mechanics behind this, I just was floored because, I mean, Rage is all its own box of problems right here. Damage from Rage increases a level each time the caster is hit with an attack, but as soon as Rage connects with an opponent, the Pokémon was locked into Rage for the rest of the battle, never being able to use another move or switch out until it fainted. Oh, snap! And not only that, the PP from using Rage never went down beyond the one used to initiate the attack. <laughs> And it only gets better, because if Rage ever missed, its accuracy became 1 out of 256. Oh, God! 
So if you were using Rage and the opponent would so happen to use uh, the ultimate Rage Inducer move Double Team... Or Minimize. Muck with Minimize. Muck with Minimize. If either of those two ever used that move and you missed, you were locked into Rage and you would keep missing with it except for that 1 in 256 chance, never being able to switch out, never being able to use another move, and never actually using any more PP in the attack. You were locked into that move. That is so ridiculous. God! (laughs) I know, right? It's like... Dodge a bullet with that one. <laughs> I never had any Pokemon with Rage. <laughs> the, the last move-specific issue isn't nearly as bad as the Rage issue. It's about Mimic. And Mimic randomly would copy an enemy move, so it was possible to have more than one of the same attack on your Pokemon's moveset, which could get a little ridiculous if you had a move with really low PP and you went up against another Pokemon with that same move, you'd be like, oh, Mimic, now I have double the PP. That's really awesome. <laughs> so that's that's everything we've got on specific moves. Now we're going to move into substitutes. The we, ever-changing world of substitutes. They were ridiculously unpredictable. It was so hard to accurately make good use of substitutes. If you were to use the move Substitute with 25 hit points or less, your Pokemon would faint. Unlike today when you're, when if you try to use Substitute, it'll just say your Pokemon is too weak to make a Substitute. Oh, really? They changed that? Yeah, you, you, you won't cause yourself to faint with a Substitute anymore, because if you don't have the required number of hit points to make a Substitute, the game will just tell you this Pokemon is too weak to make a, to make a Substitute. Guess what, listeners? Sam doesn't use the move Substitute often. (laughs) The only reason I know that is because I got into a battle at League this past week, and I hit my opponent, and then he tried to use a Substitute the next turn, and his HP was down in the red, and it said, this Pokemon is too weak to make a Substitute. Oh, really? Yeah, so that's legit what happens now, but before, your Pokemon would just straight up kill itself. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> that's that's sad on so many levels. It truly is. Uh, one thing that I know about substitutes in first gen is that they never protected against status effects. So you kept getting hit with toxic, you kept hitting, getting hit with burn, you kept getting your stats reduced. I mean, it was like it, the only purpose that substitutes ever served was to just hang out there and protect you from direct physical damage. Oh, Sam. Remember when we talked about how Hyper Beam didn't need a recharge period if it caused an opponent to faint? Yes, yes I do. Hyper Beam registers substitutes as opponents. Oh, really? So if you destroy a substitute with Hyper Beam, Hyper Beam doesn't need the rest period, and you can just blow your opponent to pieces the next turn with another Hyper Beam. All the Hyper Beam all the time. (laughs) Hyperbeam was Hyperbeam was almost as broken as Blizzard. I know, right? I'm a, <laughs> hey, I'm a Mewtwo. I'm going to use Hyperbeam. I'm going to sweep your entire team using one move. <laughs> That's so ridiculous. One thing, though, that another thing that I found about substitutes was that 
just like with Hyperbeam, if you used Explosion against a substitute and it destroyed the substitute, you wouldn't faint. Really? I'm not sure how the how the physics of that work. I thought about it in my head, and it's like a, an electrode exploding, destroying a substitute, and then pulling itself back together again. It's like perpetual explosions all the time. I like the idea of perpetual motion explosions. <laughs> the the last issue with substitutes was that you could counter moves that hit substitutes. That's awesome. Like there, the the move counter could be used against things that were hitting your substitute. So you could theoretically counter physical attacks that would be used against it, and as long as the substitute survived, I mean, you could keep perpetually doing it over and over and over. And I don't know, that's a really that's a really awesome idea. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it's true, and you know, that's pretty much all we had to talk about for this week at least in this particular segment of why Gen 1 was so broken. But I kind of want to bring up real quick, because we ta- we've we talked about Alakazam and Mewtwo an awful lot, and nowhere did we really say Psychic was broken. Psychic was broken. Psychic didn't have any real counters in Gen 1. It's true. I mean, you had Bug and you had Ghost. But the only damaging move for Bug was Pin Missile. That's true. Pin Missile was the only damaging Bug move in the entire game. And there was only one Ghost-type Pokemon. And that was Ghastly Haunter Gengar. Yep. And they were Ghost Poison. Yep. So you could theoretically outspeed the Gengar, use Psychic, and take it out in one hit. It's so true. So psychic or psychic the psychic type didn't have a real counter in Gen 1 and therefore that entire type was broken. It's true. I mean there there was no other counter. I mean if you had a psychic type pokemon that learned other elemental type moves, it could sweep the entire game and you wouldn't have to really pick any other type of pokemon ever ever. So I guess what we're saying is that While we have a very special place in our hearts for Gen 1 and for what it brought to us and how it started us on this massive Pokemon path, we're also really, really grateful that we're on Gen 5 now. Yes, I'm I'm very glad that the only real bugs I have to worry about right now are, what, Skydrop and that's it? Yeah, the the sky drop thing is a little iffy in fifth gen, but that's it. I mean, we could talk about sky drop for maybe two minutes, and we've been talking about things that are wrong in Gen One for an hour. <laughs> I know, and you know, wh- like you said, while we really appreciate what first gen brought to us, and we appreciate that it was these really um, the, they were these really awesome games. There's you know, you got to take it where you got to call a spade a spade, too, and be like, yeah, these games were also pretty broken. I'm glad that they included a lot more balance and a lot more fairness in the current generations, and they did their homework a little more on the programming. It's true. So for all of you out there who happen to be later gen haters, I just got to say the new gens of games are a lot more balanced and probably a lot more enjoyable to play 
They're they're gonna induce you with a lot less rage if you would just give them a chance. I know, right? <laughs> and with that, we will be moving on to our very philosophical segment. Welcome to Velociraptor's Musings, in which today, Sam and I will be discussing the Steelix Paradox, or why a Steel-type Pokemon has the density of a Styrofoam cup. Steelix, according to its Pokedex information, is just over 30 feet long and weighs 881.8 pounds. Now, if you consider Steelix to be a cylinder, which essentially he is, you know, uh, he isn't necessarily the same width all the way across, but, you know, he'll even out if you consider him in an average size. If you wanted to consider him something other than a cylinder, you'd be thinking more like conical. He'd be sort of like a cone, but even then he's got substantial width. Oh, yeah. And if you calculate his density based on his known weight and size, and assuming he's, you know, about four to five feet wide, which is, you know, typically what they represent in the anime, so you've at least got a good idea from that, he would only have the approximate density of styrofoam. I mean, a steelix could theoretically float. It's true, but when when you look at the steelixes in the anime, they're not floating. No, and they don't, they don't get blown away by gentle gusts of wind. Yeah, it's one of those weird things where the Pokedex information just doesn't pan out. So we're what we're trying to figure out today is why a Steelix, which is supposed to be this gigantic steel-type Pokemon, evolves from Onyx. So you would assume that it would be a fairly solid Pokemon, has the theoretical density of Styrofoam. I have the answer. What is that? The answer is that Steelix is hollow. That would make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Because the Pokedex is taking into consideration only the weight of Steelix and not the space that is inside every one of his boulders. He becomes a string of hollowed-out steel boulders. You know, and that might actually make a lot of sense because the Steelix in 5th gen actually learned the move Atomize, which allows them to drop pieces of themselves off to increase his speed. That's so, hilarious. I didn't know that. Yes, I found that out when I was reading up on Steelix the other day, and it was like, oh, hey, guess what? Steelix totally learns moves that... He lets him just drop pieces of himself off to increase his speed. That's, so it's that's intense. I know, right? So it only f- serves to reinforce the idea that Steelix is indeed hollow. So okay, if Steelix is hollow, then what we've got is the basis for the Pokedex information. But we still have to talk about we have to figure out why he doesn't float because hollow things would float super well. Yeah, they would. So why why doesn't Steelix float? You know, I th- now now run with me on this here. I'm I'm listening. When you're walking out and you're using the you know the item finder or the or the uh, dowsing equipment or whatever it is you're running around with, you're finding these little pieces of like rare candy all over the place. I love rare candies. 
And you gotta you gotta think about you know hey why would you know I would assume like trainers why would trainers drop rare candies those pop your Pokemon up a level I mean why why would they just leave something so valuable lying around it's not like they can be like oh well I'm just gonna take this whole you know 17 pound bag of rare candies with me and I'll just drop them everywhere I mean that would that would get fairly spendy in a hurry yeah it totally would. So maybe Steelix is indeed full of rare candies. Steelix, Steelix is a piñata? Steelix is a piñata, and he is full <laughs> of rare candies. And when they atomize and drop the pieces of themselves off, the little pieces that are full of rare candies remain, and they disperse the rare candies across the regions. That's hilarious, and to an extent, could make total sense. Steelix is to- okay. Steelix is full of rare candies, and that can actually add into the fact why, as to why Steelix is such a rare Pokemon. Yes, because the other Pokemon hunt them down and get the rare candies. It's Steelix genocide. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I think this just turned a whole lot darker than we could have ever imagined. It's terrible! It's terrible! These these poor Steelix are full of rare candies, and they know they know that things are coming after them. I know, right? Jeez. They... And and that's why they have to drop bits of themselves to get faster, so that they can escape faster. Poor Steelix. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Steelix, Steelix has, like, the worst possible Pokemon life ever. I know, right? It's even worse than Bidoof. Nobody likes Bidoof, but at least Bidoof isn't full of things like delicious, rare delicious candies. Delicious, rare candies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is... Our explanation for why Steel for why Steelix has the density of a styrofoam cup. If you think that you have a better answer to the Steelix paradox, please send us an email and let us know what your opinion on the matter is. You can always reach us at the underground mailbag at gmail.com. What kind of Pokemon are you? How do you do the things you do? Share with me your secrets deep inside What kind of Pokemon are you? Are you learning through and through? And do you have a heart that's true? What kind of Pokemon are you? This week's Pokemon Spotlight covers number 466, Electivire. Electivire is known as the Thunderbolt Pokemon. They can be found hiding away in dark forests, but are more likely to be seen in complex electric plants. It uses its two tails to shock an opponent by pressing them against their foe and using the appendages to conduct an electric shock. Electivire has amazing type coverage for an electric Pokemon, having access to moves like Earthquake, Cross Chop, Fire Punch, Ice Punch, and Thunder Punch. And he's one of the only strong physical attackers of the electric type, making him a great alternative to special attackers like Amolga and Jolteon. With the Expert Belt, he can truly shine in even the OU tier. That's really ridiculous. I did not realize that he could learn so many physical attacks. It's true. His He is one of the only physical attacking electric-type Pokemon. As much as, the elect, as much as types have sort of gained both physical and special-type attacks 
for every single elemental type, electric is still mostly a special field. And you've got Pokemon like Jolteon and Manectric and Emolga and Pikachu and Raichu, and they're all working with mostly special attacks and special stats. But Electivire has an intense physical stat. And That's he, awesome. Yeah, he really shines if you give him the expert belt because he can super effectively hit a ton of different types. His type coverage is amazing. That's really cool. I will probably have to look into breeding one of those up myself. Oh, I love my Electivire. And if you're looking to get an Electivire in black or white, you'll need to obtain an Elekid from the White Forest. For a detailed look at Electivire's strategy within the Pokemon games, you can also check out Natil's post on the Pokedex Project. That's thepokedexproject.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed today's broadcast, you can find back episodes of The Underground on iTunes or at our website, theundergroundpodcast.wordpress.com. Please subscribe to the show via the iTunes store or directly through the RSS feed on our website. Feel free to drop us a review on iTunes, and if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, send them with the nearest Delibird to our mailbag. Or you could email us at theundergroundmailbag at gmail.com. So until next time, Pokefans, remember that our secret base is always open to you, if you can find it. Commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license, and is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Pokemon is a registered trademark of Nintendo, Game Freak, 4Kids Entertainment, and Wizards of the Coast. All original textual, audio, graphical, and video content associated with this podcast are the sole property of Nadeel Erickson and Samuel Ranking. <laughs>